We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Yin Snowball Podcast. I am John Ledyard. With me is Brad Spielberger, live from the Combine. We're not live, but he's live. He's he's literally at the Combine. That's what I meant to say. We're not live, but Brad is live. at the As we're recording, he's live at the... Listen, you're just going to have to trust me and stick with me on this podcast, as I know all of you are, even after a week away. Uh, I was gone, so we didn't have any pods last week. I appreciate all the nice messages uh, during that time from people. Like, when's the next Yin Snowball dropping? Uh, it's cool to see the excitement around the show. So as always, if you're interested in it, uh, subscribe um, on any uh, platform that you listen to a podcast on and also share it with people. Send them a link to the podcast. Let them know the type of content that we do. If they're a Steelers fan that's interested in that type of content, I just really don't think they're going to find anything quite like this show out there on the internet. And so I am excited to be back with Brad breaking down the off season, which is really, I think, what we do best, Brad. Um, I don't want to shortchange us on the in-season in stuff. But the offseason stuff I'm really excited about because we've already talked about some of the moves the Steelers were likely to make, and now they have made several of those moves this offseason, the most recent of which was letting Mason Cole walk uh, into free agency, releasing him in, uh, what was that, $4 million in cap savings? Uh, yep, yeah, right around there, yep. So it brought about, and it came about just about as we expected it to happen. I know there was some surprise in some corners of, of the Steelers' world uh, that, oh, they just don't have a center now, and that is true we would just have argued that they didn't have one before and it was obvious and they were playing one that wasn't very good and paying one that wasn't very good. So this kind of seemed like a no-brainer. You're clearing a roster spot you knew you were going to replace anyway and you're saving money in the process. Yeah, and I think with both uh, Mason Cole and I, I know that Chuck's got announced the same time as, as the other guys, you know, Trubisky and, and Presley Harvin, but it did get a couple days until it got processed. I think the team was probably trying to negotiate a pay cut maybe trying to get a, a future sixth-round pick to move that guy elsewhere. Maybe that's also why Mason Cole took a little bit of time. I would guess more of the pay cut not be any team. is No team is trading for Mason Cole. But um, and honestly, from him, I, I'm surprised he didn't consider that option. There are a ton of free agent centers. I don't think Mason Cole is going to get anything substantial. So anyway, like you said, all things we thought about, the offseason's our time. And the combine is like the official beginning of smokescreen season, real intel season, all the above. Uh, we're kicking off this week. 
Yeah, I'm excited. So I won't ask you to 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 reveal any secrets here on the show unless you have something particularly juicy already. But I know the combine's just getting underway. We've got a long way to go, and you're going to be there all week until well Friday. I think our second episode of the week will come out on Friday because Brad's going to be traveling back on Thursday. So if people are used to our Tuesday Thursday rhythm, it will be one more day we'll have until Friday probably. In the meantime, over on Audible's and Analytics, I'll be dropping a couple pods this week. So if you're inclined to subscribe over there for a couple bucks a month. Um, I'll have more content on the draft coming this week um, and um, and on free agency outlooks for some divisions in the NFL as well uh, this week with Ollie. So looking forward to doing that. But Brad, I mean, you've also been grinding here on the free agent front and a lot of what, although people will turn their attention a lot to the draft this week because of the combine, a lot of it will be for you, like trying to figure out what's going on in free agency, what directions are some of these teams heading in. We could have gotten some information on that from the Steelers today. Unfortunately, Omar Khan's press conference was postponed due to a death in his family, um, it sounded like, based on the reports. And so uh, all the best to him, for sure. Thoughts and prayers with them uh, during whatever's going on with with that situation. We don't know if he's going to speak at a later time this week or not. Typically, most teams do, but it isn't like they don't have to uh, necessarily. So that will hopefully there'll be a time where he reschedules at some point, at least with, with at least Steelers media. And we'll be able to get some, some more content out of that and some, some good answers out of him, some direction. Hopefully there's not been a lot of Omar Khan public uh, address moments so far for the Steelers. So it is still kind of a pretty new thing. And we're all kind of, what kind of a GM is he when he deals with the media? Is he, is he more of a, you know, I dealt with Jason light for several years in Tampa Bay and it was, what he said in those meetings was typically exactly what he was going to at least try to do. Like he didn't really try to mislead you much. Um, there wasn't much game playing with him. We know other GMs where, uh, you know, they'll say anything in those moments or they'll just not say anything at all, like beat around the bush, uh, Tomlin-esque uh, on the coaching side of things. And so we don't know a whole lot yet about Omar Khan and how uh, forthright he's going to be with the media, but look forward to the next time that he speaks to be able to talk more about that. But with co-off the market, people are interested or co-off the team. People are interested. They can go back and listen to us break down centers. I think it was a week before last. Um, we talked about the free agent market and what it could look like there. Today, we're going to talk um, about uh, the defensive tackle group and on this team, on this current roster, and what it might look like for them to use a resource there. Because I think it's a growing possibility in my mind, Brad, that this could be a position that perhaps they target, given the fact that you've got Keanu Benton there. That's one. But then Larry Ogunjobi's contract situation, and maybe we'll start there, but also Cam Hayward with could he be retired after this year? I think he probably tries to play two more years based on how he's talked. But what level is he going to be at? The significant injury this past season, he is getting older. You've got to start thinking about not having him available for every single game, probably every season and plan accordingly. Um, your Mar- Monty Adams and Norman Watts are free agents. Uh, didn't seem like DeMarvin Leal took the steps that you necessarily wanted to see from him last season. So they could be searching at this position and a lot of the questions could come what they certainly will be if they decide to move on from Larry Ogunjobi, which could that still be on the table here, Brad? I know it hasn't been released with, or hasn't been announced with any of the releases they've made so far, but it seems like something that financially could still be on the table. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide 
that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, it's 8.75 mil, and I think that there's another situation, just like the two I touched on, where you're probably trying to talk that number down. And I think you do have good cachet there as a guy that you, you know, Chicago signs into a pretty big deal. It falls through because of a medical. You bring him in on a one-year flyer, um, a st- pretty strong one. What was it? One year eight was the original contract. And I'm sure his market was not particularly strong after he fails the physical in Chicago. And obviously you sign him to that extension after a good year, I want to say three years, 30. So, yeah, they clear 8.75 mil. And I think, honestly, um, in this, you know, the draft class has some names, like Byron Murphy probably is now at this point top 20 pick. I think Johnny Newton is kind of going to get the Kalaja Canty treatment as an undersized guy that obviously has production. I thought his Penn State tape I watched a couple weeks ago was phenomenal. I remember watching that game live, and then I went back and watched the actual film. Um, and, like, there are size concerns. I get that. But he, he's a special player in, in certain matchups. So, it's funny. I didn't realize that that's why Omar missed his podium. So, yeah, like you said, obviously, you know, sending prayers and well wishes to him. I didn't realize that. But I was going to ask him today. I was on Pittsburgh Radio this morning. I do it every Tuesday. And they mentioned that Mark Caboli, friend of the show, loves PFF, loves PFF Brad, loves John Ledyard, uh, Mark, Matt Mark Caboli. Um, anyway, they asked me They asked me about how he wrote an article, I guess, for The Athletic where he mentioned specifically Christian Wilkins and DJ Reader. Now, Wilkins – not only do I think he's going to get tagged regardless, mm. I don't think the Steelers are going to spend $20-plus million in free agency yeah, um, on an interior defender. Uh, Reader's interesting as a guy that I think because of the torn quadriceps, maybe he still gets a good deal. I actually had a conversation last week with someone who thinks he'll be healthy enough to get a multi-year deal, but who knows, right? And, and so maybe he's a one-year flyer type, a really, really good player, a guy who can play at the you mm. know, 0-1 tech, can play 3-tech, can get a field, can two-gap, can do a lot of different things. I found that interesting because I'm with you. I think it is underratedly a need for this team. Um, I saw Cam Hayward was tweeting at the fans that they, they that he's going to remind them of how good he is, and he was a little little pissed off that, they, I guess, he, he's seen some some slander out there. But, yeah, they, they need more pieces going forward. Um, no question about it. You dropped some gems in there. I'm still collecting myself. Um, but yes, Hayward's, uh, it, that was very interesting. I've never seen a Steelers fan say a negative thing about Cam Hayward. <laughs> and so I don't know what that was about. Uh, very odd, but hey, maybe he saw a couple tweets about him that he didn't like. Um, but that, that is pretty out of character for Hayward. And, and that was a pretty weird interaction. Uh, but yeah, as for the team, they definitely believe in him. And and obviously you're, you're grateful. It sounds like he's returning now and, and feels like he can, whether it's health or whatever it might be that he's going to be back to kind of where he needs to be as a player. That was the big thing. He kept talking. Even when he came back, he just I wasn't healthy. I wasn't myself. And so hearing him say that and seeing the evidence of that on the field, I do have some encouragement that he could bounce back a little bit. He was fine. Like he was good last year, which is kind of probably the biggest shock of all this is that he didn't really like, he was never a liability despite the fact that he wasn't physically getting really on anywhere close to hundred percent from what he said. So the fact that he could, you know, the thing that he didn't really have was the explosiveness, I felt, the ability to push off the line of scrimmage and then change directions. Um, he didn't have that to the same degree once he came back from the injury. So if he can get that some of that back, I mean, I, we could still be talking about a really good player. So while this position is a need for them, I think, it isn't necessarily true that it's this massive 2020 
for need because some things could happen. A Hayward could stay. Ogunjobi could remain as well. Benton, another year development. Perhaps you even keep Armand Watts cheap and Monty Adams cheap. Perhaps you keep the whole group together. It's it's not going to cost a lot to bring those guys back if that's uh, what you choose. Loudermilk, I think, is still under contract. So you could bring the whole group back, and it's a perfectly fine group if they stay healthy. However, there just may be other ways to go about this, especially with Ogunjobi's contract situation that, like, if you're able to add another player, it opens up the door for that to happen to the roster. So it's a little bit of an interesting position group to evaluate and that we could have kind of a full room when we look at this team um, in you know, before training camp or at mini camp or whatever that might be um, without adding anybody of significance. But it seems like it could be now DJ Ritter is an interesting name that you mentioned there. I'd kind of just look past the top layer of defensive tackle linemen because they don't have cap space if they make a move in another position, unless this is the top priority for them, which I, I don't think it'll be on that level. Um, this this isn't necessarily where they're going to go in free agency for one of the top guys. I mean, obviously, you'd get guys like Chris Jones, Justin Matabuike, um, Christian Wilkins, Leonard Williams, depending on what he gets. And then you get to Reader, yeah, Torn Quad, you haven't projected three years, uh, 15 and a quarter million per year. I think he's still going to get a multi-year deal, unless the torn quad is like some level of significance that I'm not aware of. He is, I guess, getting closer to 30, so perhaps you will find a two-year deal or maybe a team will want to go year-to-year with him, and that's where he feels like his skill set uh, would be best utilized. That That is an interesting one because if you're looking for the, the Steelers for defensive tackle, one of the first things you have to ask yourself and figure out is what type of defensive tackle do they need because neither Cam Hayward or Larry Ogunjobi is consistently going to play nose tackle for this team. Benton can do it and has done it. Um, They feel like it seems like they feel like they're comfortable with him in that role. Monty Adams was another guy in that role for them. But if they decide not to bring back Adams, that does open up a door. Okay. You know, in what capacity you're going to use. Now, the reason I don't think that they will draft, they will uh, sign somebody that makes this, amount of money is unless it's a cheap one year for whatever reason readers market isn't there, which I think I would be surprised by is if they feel like, I don't think they're going to do that because I think they think Hayward and Benton are going to play the majority of their snaps next year. Now, perhaps, perhaps there is um, going to be a, an emergence of a third defensive lineman. They obviously have to have somebody they can count on there. And if it is an Ogunjobi for for payment reasons or whatever, the fact that he was pretty average last year, they have to figure out another direction they're going to go in. So if we're thinking along those lines, then we're probably thinking, okay, Benton at nose tackle, Hayward at three technique is probably how they're going to start this thing to move those guys around. Need a backup for both of them. Perhaps that's Monty Adams and Armand Watts, but they probably need another guy they can count on to be a third defensive tackle. That moves me sort of past the nose tackle like Reader and Grover Stewart, who I think are going to be starters, and I don't know that they would want Benton to be a backup again next year. That seems a little crazy to me. Um, Perhaps it's the sort of a thing where they envision they're going to play their base defense more, and they envision Benton and a defensive tackle both as starters, but then that would be a situation where they probably split snaps because you're in nickel so much as well. so that would that's where we get into an interesting situation because then it looks like players like Sheldon Rankins, right, come on the board. Fletcher Cox, are the Steelers willing to go down that road? Obviously, there's some eagle ties now with the Steelers front office and Andy Weidel. So is there anything there with Fletcher Cox? He'd be older. That would be a rental. You have one year, nine million, or not a rental, sorry, but a, just a, a short term thing. You have them at one year, nine million. There's more options for different directions they can go if they're just looking for a replacement for Ogan Joby. The question is, can they get some of these options? cheaper than him like a daquan jones could he be a cheaper option 
Um, our Maurice Hurst, who played last year, is still only 28 years old. Played last year um, for uh, for Cleveland. Played 302 snaps. Played pretty well. Um, was when he's been healthy, he's been pretty good. There's other options that feel like they could be pretty comparable to the type of player Ogunjobi is. How about a Shelby Harris? Um, you know, he's played really well at different points of his career. About, I mean, I think those guys are about the level of what an Ogunjobi gives you, and they're cheaper than that. And so, I wonder if that's a path they could go down. The Cox one to start, obviously not quite as cheap, but that one is interesting to me with the Andy Weidel connection, uh, the assistant GM. He last year was able to test the market, did go back to Philly, but you know, we've seen the language from Philly where they basically said they were trying to trade Hassan Reddick, and then Reddick was like, I never asked for a trade. What that effectively is, is like Philly knows they don't want to extend him to a number they think he's probably going to say yes to, to kind of just leak that out there. And so at a larger level, are they – kind of admitting like they need to kind of retool a little bit, probably going to lose Jason Kelsey retirement, but do you move on from a Fletcher Cox? And I think Brandon Graham will just play there nowhere else. But like Fletcher Cox had a bounce back here, played 700 plus snaps. And I thought like watching his tape, like had juice still, uh, could, could take on double teams, like could, could shed blocks and, and still make plays late in the down if quarterbacks were holding on the football, like he was still causing problems. So that one's interesting to me there. And then I agree with you. Like the, the next tier is where you're looking, um, you know, beyond Tim. Hurst can never stay healthy, but he is a really bursty, explosive player off the line. He's a fun football player. He was awesome with Jim Schwartz. But yeah, it's just the issue there. Like the projection's super, super low because he just can never stay on the football field, unfortunately. The Daquan Jones one to me is interesting. Um, I think he, you watch his tape, he plays like a lot of like five tech, like, like base end. Uh, like like a three four end is a lot of what he does. He can kick inside as well. Last year, the first like two months of the season, he was playing very very good football before he got hurt. Um, again, these are all like rotational pieces. You want to play five hundred six hundred snaps, but I, I think guys you can move around that can play at different spots. Like you said, knows it seems like they're comfortable with Keanu there and maybe a cheap backup. Um, I would look more to you know three to five tech guys that you can move around and ideally one gap get up field and, and rush the passer. Yeah, I agree with you completely. That's the prototype. What about some of these hybrids though? Like who is going to take a chance on Javon Kinlaw is fascinating to me. I still think when he's healthy and it's been so rare, but he was finally healthy a little bit this past season. It's not consistent, but there are flashes. He's still very intriguing to me. He's 26 years old. I recognize that I'm probably holding on to a pre-draft evaluation that just hasn't he hasn't been able to live up to uh, honestly i think that's largely because of injury reasons he's just barely played football and he's barely been on the field and there's some been some maturity stuff too we know the maturity stuff won't scare the steelers off necessarily the injury stuff might but he's still young there's just kind of such an intriguing skill set with him this like amazing explosiveness that you still see even despite some of the injuries with him um Man, I just like he is a player that is very, very interesting to me still. And I recognize he could go somewhere or, or you know, not even make a team. And that could be, or I feel like he could be like a, a reliable rotation player when you don't put too much on his plate and he's able to bring something to the table because hypothetically his skill set, there's stuff against the run and the pass in there. We just haven't really seen uh, it develop too much until I think this year, honestly. We started to see some flashes the second half of this year when he was able to finally stay on the field. He had played. 243 snaps in 2022 and 149 in 2021. Like it's just not, it's not enough to evaluate him by when he's, when he, cause he's not healthy. And so to me, this was the first year we started to see something from him. His projections, probably a tricky one for you, but I, he is one that I wonder, okay, would Pittsburgh take a chance? They've in the past gone pedigree, right? 
guys who didn't work other places. I mean, you can go back through history. They love to take former first rounders, former talented guys, and try and plug them into what they're doing and say, we can fix you. And sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't. But they are an organization that chases pedigree for sure when they look at some of these signings um, that they'll make him free agency. And he would be one that also would be relatively cheap as well. So I'm intrigued by that one um, I because I've been a Kinlaw fan the whole way, basically. Um, so I, I I would be hopeful if that one happened. But the rest of these, if you're thinking outside of Kinlaw in this price range, a lot of these guys either are older players than the Steelers typically sign in free agency, whether you're talking about Fletcher Cox, whether you're t- even Sheldon Rankins is about to turn 30, right? If you're going down that road, although he is intriguing to me, we should probably come back to him. Fletcher Cox is 33. Daquan Jones is 32. Um, Quentin Jefferson is 31. Another player that's kind of flashed at times here and there, but I think it's starting to fall off for him based on what I've seen. Shelby Harris, who I liked and I still like in a rotational role. I still think he can be a solid player, um, it, but he's going to be 33 this season, I think. Um, so you're you're getting to that point, or you've got guys that either have injury issues, as we mentioned with Hurst, who's a little bit younger, but his body, like how much wear and tear can that take at this point? How many snaps can he handle a year? Or you've got guys that are just like pu- purely not going to do anything against the pass, like Ashawn Robinson, Raekwon Davis, some of these guys, like they're not going to give you any type of juice. And I would argue Davis doesn't even give you much. I think he's been, I remember when he came out and people were, I just have thought he's overrated the whole way, even early in his NFL career. I've not been a fan. Um, so there have not been a whole lot of there. There's not a whole lot of promise after outside of those names, unless you're willing to take a risk on an injury history, like Maurice Hurst or Javon Kinlaw. So very interesting in that. I think in a perfect world, there are a lot of these defensive tackles that are hitting the market that can play, but some are older, some are injury prone. That makes the projection for what they'll make and what kind of a role they can play for a team in 2024 a little bit harder. So the Kinlaw one's fascinating. It's funny because, you know, a lot of the research I've done, like even pre-PFF, like going back forever, was tied to the premium that first-round picks or just early-round picks get in free agency and how you are tied to your draft status forever. And look, at a large-scale level, it's like it's bad. It's bad value as teams chasing pre-draft priors and all that. Mm -hmm. But then I throw on the Kinlaw tape and I see five or six snaps from this season where I'm like, guys this size should not move like this. So like yeah. you kind of get it. Like when you actually dive in, you're like, yeah, if you can do that more consistently, like I get why. So you're you're obviously buying into that upside. I, I've met one year, five and a half. I, I think it will be like a decent chunk. Like, you know, he was the 13th overall pick for a reason. You know, massive trade for DeForest Buckner, effectively kind of a one-to-one swap there. Obviously didn't work out, but, but you know, you, like you said, you you were super high on him pre-draft. Remember him coming out of South Carolina, just some like ridiculous tape in SEC. So I agree. I, I wouldn't mind one of him or Hurst. People forget Hurst also had a heart issue pre-draft, so fell to the fifth round. Yeah. I think probably would have been a top 75 pick, you know, before that, like, was not going to be a top 15 pick like Javon Kinlaw, but a very good player at Michigan State. He was a lot of fun last year for Jim Schwartz. Like, really, really good. I thought when I watched the film, on like, like twists and stunts and different games up front. And I think if you play him 400 snaps in a season, but it's, you know, a very catered specific role and he's spelling some of these guys that were playing too much, I think it goes a long way. So one of those two would be fun. Um, and then, like you said, the rest are at the bottom for, you know, age, injury, whatever. They're, they're, there are good rotational pieces like Shelby Harris. So that was still fine in Cleveland this past year too. But I kind of agree where I want more guys that are getting up field, um, you know, as opposed to just like space eaters and, and, and stuff like that. 
Yeah, I do as well. And I think that that's what the Steelers will prioritize as well. Just given how they've looked at things, I don't think they're interested in signing another, um, you know, one of these stopgap defensive tackle types uh, like a Tyson Alulu in the past that they had, they brought in. And so, yeah, um, that that's not the direction I would expect them to go. The interesting players to me, Sheldon Rankins, because there has been a bit of a career renaissance with him over the past couple of years after it looked like in 2021 that perhaps he was he was done maybe one of another guy that struggled with injuries honestly early in his career 673 snaps last this past season uh, he played fairly well i saw some i i uh watched some good games for him um uh, personally 2022 was another solid year for him and i, I you know he's never going to be a full-time like i player i think in fact i think the steelers could probably get away with playing him less than the almost 700 snaps that he played last year but there is a little bit of there's a pass rusher, a little bit of juice still, I think. Um, he is definitely a guy that he actually honestly is probably maybe a little too similar to Ogan Joby in some ways as a player to like actually make it worthwhile, depending on what he makes. You have him at two years, 10 million per year, set kind of a contract. But he is probably, I would guess you would agree that like one of these players that's a little bit harder to project because his career has been at one time there was pedigree there. Then it fell off and it looked like he was done. Then he's had a little bounce back and people think he could be a rotational piece for them. At least is somebody going to want him to play, be a, like a starter for them, like a 700 snap guy, like this upcoming season. I don't know. Like he's, he's almost 30 years old. Now the body's given out before he's not been like a, I don't think he's hit 700 snaps for years now. So he's a tricky one to figure out. And then the other one I want to ask you about is tier tart who is, 20, just almost 27 years old. This is probably one of the weirdest, and you wrote about this pretty well, I think, but I know in Tennessee, they were really excited about him coming into this past season. They thought he could be one of the guys next to Jeffrey Simmons, could emerge. He ended up falling out of the rotation, not playing as well. Mike Frable at times, like kind of in the way that Mike Frable does criticize practice habits, or it was unclear exactly what he was saying, but it just didn't seem like he was particularly happy with Tier Tart, uh, his coachability, whatever it might be. He gets waived before the end of the season, which I think a lot of people had him on a potential, like on the, the, the low key breakout list, wherever that list is, not the guys that everybody knows is going to be good. And somebody just wants to write like, Oh, Kyle Hamilton this year will be considered one of the best safeties league. Thanks chief. We saw that, you know, not one of those, but like actual, like low key under the radar. Maybe you haven't heard of this guy, but he, he could be a breakout candidate this year. And it went the other direction completely with him. He got waived. Texans picked him up. I think he was decent for Houston. I actually didn't study his, his tape or whatever there. I think you did maybe, and have some thoughts on that, but he's one that uh, in an ideal world, this would be the type of player, right? Like this, he's, there's a little bit of juice. There's a little bit of versatility pass rush. I've seen that from him. He can be a disruptive run defender as well. He's young enough that he fits the bill. You don't need him to play a ton of downs. He probably with some of these concerns that have happened could come cheaper than Ogan Joby. So that's kind of like a perfect one, but you have to figure out what the character, what happened in Tennessee, like what was going on. I mean, obviously it was a rough tumultuous season there. No, nah, but what the heck's going on there? Is that going to be a problem in Pittsburgh? Is he healthy? I think you have to figure out all those things. Real reverse order there. So yeah, Tart, the, the situation this past year was he got the restricted free agent tender and wanted to sign an extension. And effectively, because the two sides couldn't get an extension done, it sounded like he just didn't give effort. Like, you know, Rabel threw, <laughs> Rabel threw him under the bus like a half dozen times in various press conferences. And we got reporters with asked like, why is he not playing more, yada, yada. And I think the first one was like, get that, came about that. Then it became like, you know, because the guys who practice hard get to play more. Like it was, and yeah, it got all the way to the point of falling out of the rotation and getting waived. He he was good in Houston. Uh, he, he like he's a, he's a very talented player. It's like yeah, 
But it sounds like, and this is just one conversation, but he also went undrafted. And like you see his, again, his size, speed, power combination should not be a guy who goes undrafted. So you have to wonder why those things are happening. Yes, he came from a small school, but he is a, a very disruptive force. Like you said, can play zero one tech. I think he also can uh, like be a three tech. He's a big dude, but I think he can be versatile across the defensive line. It's, uh, you know, we, we joke a ton about, you know, Pittsburgh taking chances on guys like that. I don't know if they go that far. And again, I haven't heard anything terrible, but but forcing your way off a team uh, effectively is is about as bad as it gets, um, you know, outside of like actual criminal stuff and things like that. Like Tennessee yeah. didn't want to waive the guy at week 15 uh, to go to a division rival uh, and, you know, make a playoff run. But the talent, yeah, that's pretty not, bad, <laughs> pretty bad, pretty bad. But yeah, he's strong. I mean, he's like if he gets his hands on guys, he's like yeah. is he's, he's got heavy hands. He's a really good player. Back to Rankins. Um, I think it's kind of the, like the opposite of the last piece there. I like his lower body. He plays so low to the ground. He has great, like he'll have his shins like parallel to the ground. I just don't see a lot of, he has a decent inside spin move. And then I see like nothing else. Like I don't see like mm-hmm. club, uh, yeah. club rip, club chop. Like there's no like, I don't know. There's just not enough like nuance and and development of pass rush moves, which is fascinating because Ryan Nielsen like followed him from NC State to the Saints. He was a defensive line coach. Like his DC in college became mm. his D line coach. He was a first round pick in New Orleans. Stays there forever. He's a good player. I just, I just feel like he's, you know, guys get their hands on him and he just gets swallowed up. Um, yeah. So you know, it certainly would be intriguing to me. I'm just surprised there isn't more, you know, diversity in, in what he does and, and better hand usage. Yeah, that's the hard thing. It's like you're not really upgrading on Ogan Joby. I don't know what you're paying. You have the projection here about was Ogan Joby this year? C ten. I think it would be ten, right ten in cash and like saving eight point seven five. You cut him. I think I think that's right. Yeah, right. So you know, Rankins would be you have him projected a ten per. Are you upgrading? Are you higher injury risk? Like Ogan Joby's had his injuries too. You know, I, I'm not sure with Rankins, and that's where I go with Tart. I think you definitely could be, and he's younger, so you're going that direction as well. It's just like I can't speak to the stuff I don't know anything about, which is like. What kind of a dude is this? What kind of a dude? But now Pittsburgh hasn't been scared by that. So and we're talking about whether it's realistic or not. It probably doesn't matter. I think it's realistic no matter what I think of it. Um, but that would be whoever signs him. I'm get, He's going to be one that I watch. Some of these other guys, I don't really care. Like, I'm not saying they can't be helpful, but like, there's no ceiling here. Like with a lot of these, right. guys. it's like there's no there's no upside. There's nothing exciting that's going to come necessarily from them. It's Kinlaw and Tart that really are the two that I'll be like when somebody signs those two, I'll be like, all right, I'm going to tune in this year and see how those guys look in that new environment. Because I even think, even with guys like Leonard Williams, who's clearly a tier or two above these types of guys that we're talking about, it's like, I know who Leonard Williams is. He's not going to suddenly become Chris Jones or one of the best defensive tackles in the league. Like, he is firmly in his tier two, tier three defensive tackle group, um, and that's who he's going to be probably no matter where he goes until he falls off. Um, So that's where I get uh, pretty intrigued with Kinlaw and with Tart to some degree can they kind of turn things around from where they, they were at uh, more recently in their career? So there are some interesting names out there. It's hard for me to look and say, oh, man, there's just so many options that are so much better um, because of this or that, you know, than, than Ogan Joby is cost-wise, and they could be better players too. The question you really have to ask with Ogan Joby, I think, it comes back to because so much of this does is you are counting on Hayward and Benton to be your top two defensive tackles next season. But you need a third guy to start in base. Um, and then also, I think the other part of this that's interesting is that you need 
um, to have somebody who can give you at least the way the Steelers saw at the end of last season. This was wrong based on tape and based on numbers, but they didn't think Keanu Benton was going to was the type of pass rusher that could be effective in those types of obvious pass situations, the long down and distance situations. That has to change going in an extra to some degree, but is it going to change enough that you feel like you need to add a guy that can get to the quarterback? And that's going to be a, a pretty big priority for you. And slash, do you think Joby can kind of still be that guy? So that is, I think, where I want to like kind of cap this conversation before we look at the draft stuff. Do you think Joby can be that guy moving forward, Brad, based on what we saw from him this past season? I don't think it was as good as some of his earlier seasons in Pittsburgh. Um, his 2022 season, for example, I think was one of his better seasons. He did have 35 pressures this past year. Um, he, he, that's not a career high mark for him. His career high mark is 41. I believe that was in 20, uh, 2021 with the, his year at the Bengals. Um, but I just don't know that we've seen anything in his career that suggests like that was that first rookie year where everybody was like, this is the next great D tackle. I remember somebody wrote that. Like it was like, this is going to be the next great D tackle is going to be Larry Joby, And then it just never blossomed from that point on. My question with Joby is almost 30 years old. Injury history, although he's played a decent amount the last couple of years, injury history is there with him. Although he has, I guess he hasn't missed that much live action. Not really, no. It was just, it was just yeah. a failed physical in Chicago with like a, I think it was a foot, like a list Frank the, thing, but that's right, yeah. it hasn't caused him to miss time. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. Okay, so he has been yeah, mostly healthy, it looks like. Um, so, uh, although you don't know what state his body is in, if that stuff was coming up on a flag medical report, like you know, how, when is that going to fall off? When is it going to affect him? Because usually it's the the longevity of those things. Like eventually that's going to catch up with you and paying him what they're paying him. Is it worth it? If you can clear the space, look somewhere else, add a defensive tackle that's comparable to the rotation. This is where it gets pretty tricky for me because I think it's a very important position on this team, especially because Hayward is getting older in his injury history. I just don't know if it's if Ogunjobi's good enough to justify him being the guy that's in that role. Yeah, I think the one thing they might would say is like he is a snap eater. Like he played what seven hundred plus snaps last year and like eight hundred and sixteen, yeah. That's a ton. Like that's a ton for an interior yeah. defensive lineman. Uh you know, in a rotation, obviously, you know, that would come down if Hayward doesn't miss half the season effectively, but I think that would be the justification is like the floor is relatively high and like he can play in various different situations. But yeah, like you said, we know the ceiling. The ceiling is at this point, it's been established. There's not untapped potential or like higher heights for him to go. So in this market, I would say this, in this market with the interior defenders, which is going to continue to grow, where you get more guys get paid at that position. I wouldn't mind the, 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 like the, the price you're paying to keep him for next year from a cash standpoint is probably in line with his value just because of how much these guys are making now across the league. It just, yeah, it's not, it's not a move that they're, you know, keeping him is not, you're, you're not going to get more out of him. You ideally last year, if you get that again, like you're probably happy with it. And on an individual yeah. basis, not like for the overall yeah. team. Like I'm saying from him, yeah. right? Like, right. Yeah. No, I get it completely. I, oh man, that's a hard <laughs> one. I, I am ultimately, I think Brad leaning toward saying I would rather try my chances at other options um than ogan joby was armon watts better than ogan joby last year i mean i know we're talking about a guy who played 800 and some snaps right to a guy that played what did armon watts play last year i mean probably it wasn't 300 <laughs> yeah pro- maybe 300 snaps let's look right now just to be sure 286 snaps so i mean yeah. the workload yeah. itself isn't comparable 
But I think Armand Watts has really shown something and not just for like a year now, like he was at his best as a best run defense grade from PFF in his career this past season. he only played 131 run defense snaps, but I think it was very interesting that he did not look like a liability at all in that scheme. It looked like there was a a fit there and the way that they use him and they move their D tackles and they move gaps and things like that seemed like it was a better fit for him. A guy who's been like a taller lankier defensive tackle almost um so like not asking him to like two gap and play a bunch of nose and things like that and then also the fact that he was 17 pressures as a pass rusher which he's he's actually been a pretty solid pass rusher 2021 in minnesota 33 pressures as a pass rusher on 414 reps like he was he had a good pass rush grade he's had pretty good pass rush grades from pff throughout his career it's just all been in small sample sizes then when he played the most of his career in the most pass rush snaps of his career in Minnesota in 2021, he had the most pressure. So, and he had five sacks. And so I am actually, I would be more intrigued, I think, by Watts, Adams coming back as backups, adding another body to the mix in free agency or the draft, and thinking that some collection of those players, and maybe this is me, you know, people know who've listened to the pod all season. I like Armand Watts. I, I'm willing to take some risk for Armand Watts here, like considering that this is probably going to be a cheap guy to retain. He just played well for you. He can move around the defensive line. He's 27 years old. Like all of those things to me make him like that should be a priority. And if you to bring him back and to bring Adams back and add a third guy and still save money with what you're going to pay, basically compared to to what just ha- what you'd be paying Ogan Joby. I just think once I think about it, I, yeah, I mean, you're running some sort of a risk because maybe the snaps go up for Watson. He just isn't the same guy. And But how effective was Joby? How effective has he been throughout his career? Like, is there a ceiling he could get back to that isn't there? I, I just don't think there is. So I just don't know that what what's the real downside of letting Joby go. And the upside is pretty clear, in my opinion. Yeah, I feel like you're saying. If you just looked at it as instead of paying him 10 mil, you spent three on Armin Watts and do the Daquan Jones deal. Like, I think I would rather go that direction. Um, and I, we talk a lot about Andy Weidel and all this continued Philly influence. Like, one of their core principles and tenets is a platoon defensive line where they have different style players, different age players. Like, like, and they're what, like, probably interior line, they're probably carrying eight guys a year. Like, it's seven, eight guys a year. Um, it's always a focal point. So, yeah, if you think you can turn Ogan Joby into two players that you get increased efficiency with a little bit less snaps overall played, yeah, I think it's I think it's probably a smart way to go about it because then it's also you can overcome injury better and work through things like that. Right. Yeah, I think I think that is probably the good way to look at it, and I and that is like a core Eagles tenant of what they've done for the last or forever, really. Yeah. And, and that's where I think I'm at with it. And now if we were going to see Ogan Joby really, sorry if you already said this and I missed it, but when there would be like a, we would likely see that in the next, this week, maybe even, I mean, cause you're going to see it. Yeah, before. I the, mean, yeah, you probably I would see assume it. you'd see it before the start of the league year, right? unless they want to see what they can get out there first. And then if they add somebody, then release them. That could be an option. You do that. You try, you try to avoid it, um, but it happens. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. You try to do right with the player, let him hit the market as right. early as possible. But yeah, like he is in that bucket where it's like, it's a, it's a fallback plan that we're okay with, but if we can do better, but we need to know we can do it before we go ahead and move on from him. So, yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting one. And Patrick Peterson's another one. I think those are the two players. So those are two players we talked about getting released that haven't been that, released. Left. Yeah. That I think yeah. we would say are still 
like on the mm-hmm. table yeah at this point so um i want to take a quick peek at the draft before we wrap up the show because this has been a fascinating discussion to me like what the steelers do with larry Ogunjobi and in general their defensive line interior defensive line is is actually probably the most interesting internal roster evaluation to me like to me there's just no like the moves they've already made obvious ones you couldn't get any retukes because you screwed up by benching him i get it at this point my issues with that go back to the season but that's you know neither here nor there at this point obviously they were going to move on so nothing really has been a surprise all these things have been kind of obvious to me the, the questions remain patrick peters and what's going to happen there i can't imagine they would be asking him to start even if they want to keep him it's going to be as a pay cut or something like that i would imagine so kind of cool with being patient there but the what's going to happen with ogan joby to me is like a big part of this deal if you're talking about just like internally evaluating this roster they're like other than quarterback there's everything's kind of they don't have any key free agents and they're probably not going to cut anybody else other than the names we just mentioned so this is kind of where like this is a position group that i think has the most up in the air if you want to put it that way um whether there's going to be a big need here or not um going to the going into the season and so a, a big part of this revolves obviously around ogan joby but then the other thing is the draft options like what are the options in the draft for this team um if they can bring back Watson, Adams, then it lessens the need a little bit. They already feel like Loudermill can play some snaps for them. Perhaps they're willing to give Leal a little chance um, here. This isn't a position they would have to spend a high pick on necessarily. But I'm curious just your thoughts on the defensive tackle class in this draft. I've started watching some of the top guys. I've seen some of Jerzon Newton. I've seen Byron Murphy's tape now and finished his evaluation. I'm in the midst of finishing Tavondre Sweat's evaluation. And those top guys, if you're interested as fans, those three guys that a lot of people have near the top, there's a couple others in that conversation too. They're going to be uh, players that um, that tomorrow Rashad McGinnis and I uh, talk about in depth from a from a scouting perspective um, on Audible's and Analytics. So if you're interested in that, you can again subscribe over there for a couple bucks a month, and uh, you can get our scouting thoughts on those players. But I don't think we expect the Steelers to dip into any of those categories, even if Sweat goes second or third round, which I think is probably more of a possibility than, than most people do. I'm more aligned with PFF slash Trevor Sikama, who, by the way, check out the new draft guide to PFF. That thing is beautiful, unbelievable work, Trevor, dropping his uh, first draft guide there. Um, so make sure people go check that out. But looking at where Trevor has sweat at 63 compared to where other people have him, I'm more in line with Trevor, I think, there in my evaluation of sweat so far, perhaps even a bit lower. And I don't think he's the type of player, 6'4", 362, He'd be like a true nose tackle for them. Do you need to do that? The Steelers haven't really prioritized that type of player in the draft anyway. They're looking for more three down impact, I think. So he doesn't really fit the bill anyway for the Steelers to me. And you stop me if I'm, I think I'm wrong here, but I don't feel like Newton or Murphy are going to be on the board in the range they would necessarily consider. Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon. So that leaves some interesting names like Chris Jenkins from Michigan, Braden Fisk from Florida State, and he would be a very interesting uh, player Brandon Dorless from Oregon, uh, Dwayne Carter from Duke was just the Senior Bowl, so was so was Dorless, um, Leonard Taylor from Miami, uh, Rook. Oh man, Aurora. Aurora. What is it? Aurora. 
Oro Oro <laughs> from Clemson, who I've actually watched, but I was just looking at his name today earlier this morning. I was like, this name, last name is so intimidating to me. And why don't more of these schools have pronunciation guides? Yeah. Oh, that has driven me crazy for years. Like have an audible, it's 2024, have an audible pronunciation for your players' names on these things. Like, now, anyway, um, but so there are some names. I've seen some of these guys. Michael Hall from Ohio State is another one. Tomlin was hyping up, probably a mid-round guy, it looks like. Uh, has played, didn't play a ton at Ohio State. He doesn't have great production, but the traits seem to be there. He is a smaller defensive, interior defensive lineman, I think. He's like 6'2", 280, 285, something like that. Um, so I, I think there are some names and some options here. I, I don't know how many of these guys really impressed me at the Senior Bowl, and I have to get to some of the tape. But the you know, guys like Dorless, I wasn't very impressed with Sweat. I wasn't very impressed with Dwayne Carter in the one-on-ones at the Senior Bowl. Thought he got uh, really beaten down. I think his tape, from what people have told me, is is a little bit better than that. But it's an interesting D tackle class because there are it's we've had either really good like high end guys at the top the last couple of years, like uh, Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw, at least best prospects. Um, you know, obviously uh, last year, um, Jalen uh, Carter, yeah, Jalen Carter, yeah, yeah. And so like, there's been some guys like that. And then there, but there's also been like the sentiment that after that it falls off completely, or it's just not that great of a detail class at all with some of these years. And this is one where it feels like we have some guys near the top, maybe not top 10 types, but first round types in Newton and Murphy that a lot of people think are going to go in that range. And then we have like decent depth throughout the, the middle rounds, it seems like, like players that will play. Although I personally wasn't impressed with very many of them at the senior bowl. I haven't watched a ton of tape, but from the like broadcast viewing, I I actually think you might like Dorless a little bit more once you watch some film. Like okay. I, think, I could see him not doing well in one on ones. He was lining up like outside tackles or outside shoulder shading tackles. Um, you know, four eye to like um to truly like not like stand, you know, still on a three point stance, but he's interesting. I think Michael Hall is a very interesting player as well. Those are the two guys I was gonna mention. Like Hall is not even twenty one years old yet, and yes, he's a bit undersized, but his pass rush win rate was sky high for us. Like his troop, his pass rush grade. Another guy that was lining up, like you know, in the B gap or over the tackle, not really out to the tackle, like a doorless, but like rarely ever lining up, uh, like in the A gap whatsoever, uh, because he is, like you said, like, I think we have him at six three two eighty. But mm-hmm. yeah, as a pass rusher, like there's juice there for sure, uh, and, and he's young. So and like that D line had Tyler Williams and some very good players around him, which you know obviously helps, but. The yeah, rushers there, I thought, both underwhelmed me. I know they're both coming back to school, and, and JT Tuliumalau, um, which I, that, I said that one wrong for sure, uh, and, and Jack Sawyer, like two guys I that everyone know. was talking. Yeah, might be Who knows? Um, and Jack Sawyer, who, like, I don't know. People are like, oh, it's top 50 picks. I'm like, I guess. But, like, anyway, that's a total tangent. But, like, those two guys intrigue me. I think they're both probably there in the third, maybe even there in the fourth. Because I do feel that way. Like after Byron Murphy and, and Johnny Newton, um, he he said he wants to be called Johnny Newton, not Jazan Newton. Uh, oh, break. Okay. nice. Uh, yeah, he, he prefers Johnny. Um, after those guys, I think it's like quite a gap. Even Braden Fisk, who people do like at Florida State, who's a transfer from I forget where, he gives me like Chris Wormley, like Brent Urban, like five tech, like long. You know, I didn't mean to compare. Who was that? Like, you said? Uh, that's Braden Fisk, the guy from Florida oh State. Fisk. He's yeah, he, really He's interesting. Like, Player. Yeah, he's like, interesting. Yeah. He is. I just I don't know if he can actually like hold up on the interior because he's like I think he plays a little bit high and, and I feel like yeah. his leverage is not very good. But yeah. So anyway, after the top two, I think it drops off. But I will, like I said, at the top. I had not t- watched a ton of tape here yet, uh, to be honest. 
Fisk feels a lot like the type of player that some teams are just going to fall in love with and other teams are going to be like, no, he's not even high on our board at all. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's older. Yeah. He's probably not going to be this unreal athlete, but he is 6'5 to 297, something like that. So he probably will test pretty well compared to other defensive tackles and people just forget to weight adjust and like realize he's not <laughs> as big as some of these guys. He plays unbelievably hard. Like um, his senior bowl reps, like he just absolutely relentless dude. There are some like terrible reps from him and then some awesome reps from him. Like he is one of the harder players to figure out and all his terrible reps to me, like, aren't like, Oh, he didn't do the right thing or he did something dumb. It's more like he just doesn't have these great tools. And so yeah. he loses reps because of it, but then his good reps are like, he overcomes the lack of tools and he just has some great move or he's a counter or he never stops moving or he grabs a guy's arm and dig. I can't land his punch. And he just, he's like, every rep is like full combat for Braden. Fitz. Yes. No. Um, it's, yes, for sure. It's a very the effort is all yeah. the charts. Oh yeah. For off the charts. And so I very much kind of enjoy watching him, even though I think he is kind of like rep to rep, depending on what reps you catch, he could look like, I bet his grades are going to, I just just looked his grades, you know, 132nd ranked defensive tackle in 2021, 23rd in 2022, 163 in 2023. I think that might be how it goes for him, even in the NFL where he ends up being a part-time player and game to game. People have different opinions about him uh here and there but he's an interesting player i again he would not be a fit necessarily based on what i've seen the steelers prioritize i would not think of him as a guy that they would kind of go for chris jenkins from michigan good pass rush production he's not really a twitchy player and so i always worry about that for defensive linemen when i'm talking about ceiling and what they're going to be at the next level like chris jenkins to me like the probably one of the higher floor players based on what i've seen um, but I just don't know how he's going to like, is he going to be an impact pass rusher or is he just more of a run stopping type of defensive tackle, which nothing necessarily wrong with that. Or, or it's probably for another podcast to talk about what might be wrong with that, but it's just might not be what the Steelers are interested in. So I do think it's a little bit hard to find fits if they don't grab one of the top guys. And I don't think that they necessarily are going to be there slash the Steelers are going to, I mean, they could be there, but. I don't know if those guys are the Steelers' cup of tea either. So perhaps somebody like a Dorless or a Dwayne Carter is somebody I need to get in the tape on. I thought at the Senior Bowl, Carter was just on the ground all the time in one-on-ones. And I know one-on-ones, people, oh, it's one-on-ones. I think that's more true for offensive linemen sometimes. The context is important for offensive linemen on reps. But defensive linemen should win those reps. And that's an opportunity for them to show what kind of traits they have. And while Carter did look like a pretty decent athlete, he didn't win very often, 1v1, and some of those reps and those opportunities at the Senior Bowl. So he left me wanting a lot more. Um, you know, I'm always – I'm happy to change my mind because physically, I would say, if I just looked at him, I'm like, that's the body type of some defensive – like, he's not super small, but he's like 6'3", 305. There should be some explosiveness there, but it just didn't look how you wanted it to. And he's also, I think, already 23-plus. Um, so it'll be close – you know, not – I think he'll turn 24 as a rookie maybe. So – You've got to think about yeah. the players that aren't, aren't developed either. So very interesting group. I think we'll, as we go through, we'll find some players who we might like for Pittsburgh right now. It's hard for me to pinpoint and be like, this is the guy I think could be a fit. We've talked with centers. Like we're like, there's going to be a couple guys that are fits for them. Harder for me to figure out who that guy might be in the draft, uh, the defensive tackle uh, position. Yeah. I feel the same way. Cause Jenkins is a good run defender. And I think will be a good NFL player. Um, but and I think he goes in like the Keanu Benton range of the draft. I just I don't think he's what they need right now. Um, he's going to be his, his testing is going to be crazy. I think he was number one on Bruce Feldman at the Athletics Freaks list, but he's also a rep in the Alabama game where J.C. Latham just absolutely demolishes him. But that's again a random tangent. I started watching tackles. Uh, so Who are you anyway. saying there? Who did he demolish? No, Jason. No, J.C. Latham in Alabama demolished him. Like demolished like, who? 
uh, Chris Jenkins, like oh, got Jenkins. inside, got inside of him and just yeah. torqued him and just created the biggest hole you've ever seen in your entire life. Um, and just he's like, number one on the freaks list. Jenkins is. I think he's up there. He might, he's oh up there. Gosh, he apparently has some like records at Michigan, like some of the craziest testing. Um, and it's like burst yeah. stuff, like which you, you you see, like if he gets a good first step off the line, it's like it's a big man moving. Um, but yeah, like, he's not. To me, I don't think he's a polished pass rusher. I think he's going to be a very good, like, push-the-pocket guy, like, heavy-handed if he gets on, like, a smaller guard, like a zone guard or center is going to drive the guy into the quarterback's lap. But, like, it can come with time. But, um, yeah, I, I didn't see a ton of, like, pass rush nuance there. Interesting. Yeah. But that He will be one of the, I think, players that – I mean, obviously, his dad. I think his dad was one of the more underrated – defensive lineman of the last like 25 years basically i just thought he in carolina the consistency with which he played for years and years um and he was nobody that i don't think was ever thought of as like oh this amazing player but um i do think that's in his wheelhouse and so uh, yeah man that'd be uh, so if jenkins could be one of those guys huh interesting i think he's like six four three oh five so he's kind of a he's not necessarily a heavy defensive tackle either so that um could aid him in some of these drills too. People always forget, oh, defensive tackle, four defensive tackle, this testing. It's like defensive tackles range from 280, 285 <laughs> right. sometimes to 330, 335, 340 pounds. Like it's just like we need to do a better job of kind of separating maybe some of these body types. Like you said, yeah. Tavondre Sweat might be 370 at this point. So Yeah. I mean, that guy is unbelievable. Yeah. He's massive. Um, yeah. Yeah. Massive, massive individual. So Okay, well, that's good. We Good starter conversation. That's all these are, and I know we've said that before to fans, but if you're just tuning in, you haven't heard us say before, these offseason outlooks are really starter conversations. Uh, there's so many paths to go down for a lot of these. We go, to, obviously, down further down some, like the Ogunjobi conversation, I think, is one that has to be had because of the optionality that's there. But this is really just a starter conversation for them. This is what the awesome laying out some of the options, laying out what the draft might look like, generally speaking. And then Brad and I will get into some specifics as we get further along the draft process on prospects. Uh, um, Rashad and I are already doing that over in Audibles and Analytics. So you can check that out if you're interested in more of the draft side of things and just want to hear about prospects and scouting and things like that. But we're also going to keep looking at, I mean, we're what, two weeks, uh, two and a half weeks from the start of the new league year, right? Yeah, pretty much, March? yeah. 13th? March 13th and it's 13th, February. Yeah. So it's, it's a leap year. So 15 yeah. days away. February 27th. Yeah. So yeah, we're, so we're very, very close here. We're going to learn a lot this week, uh, whether somebody's going to talk for the Steelers at some point during the week, I would assume. So I do think we're going to learn a lot this week. We're going to come back armed with some more knowledge on Friday and talk about those things so far for people listening at home. We have talked about, uh, quarterbacks, wide receivers for the Steelers, tight ends slash fullback center, defensive tackle, cornerback and safety already. We need to still do linebackers. We'll definitely talk about the edge group. We may wait on them a little bit because if Marcus Golden does come back, I don't know what we really need to talk about there. It seems like they would have their top four pretty locked in stone. So we may not go as deep into that position group, at least just yet. Um, linebackers, one we need to hit on. Offensive tackle, we'll probably, we might talk about on Friday, even just with some of the news the Steelers saying, no, Dan Moore is going to be a starter and some of that stuff. And so we can talk about some of that uh, maybe. Guard as well, we'll kind of see how the offseason unfolds. But right now, it looks like they have their top three guards. So I don't know where they're going to go. And running back's another one where there might not be a lot of change there um, to, for us to talk about. And so we may not go into all of these position groups, but we're definitely going to do linebacker and offensive tackle. And then by that point, we should honestly be, uh, pretty much ready to talk prospects and 
talk about the, the the new league year and free agency and all those things that are coming up. So stick with us here on this podcast, regular con- couple times a week, regular content coming at you on all these off season topics until then. Thanks y'all. Appreciate y'all listening to another episode of the Yin's no ball podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the planet premier league podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.